This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Patrick Kilpatrick, and you're listening to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin, two wonderful gentlemen. I hope that you'll tune in readily, and they're going to have extraordinary guests in the days ahead. God bless you all, and have a wonderful day. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. All right, today, Patrick Kilpatrick joins us on $2 Late Fee. He is a very interesting person. He's not just an actor. He's uh, politically active. He wrote a biography not that long ago that really details his backstory up until becoming an actor, and it's pretty wild. His memoir, called Dying for a Living, he he ran for governor Briefly, just to just to piggyback on what you were saying about he's political, he he ran for governor of of California uh, in this in this strange recall situation that we had uh, last fall. I think my biggest regret, looking back on this interview, is that I didn't ask him about his name, Patrick Kill Patrick. So if you're listening, Patrick, yeah, just chime in about that because that's a very unique name. It's like if your name was Zach Kill Zach, Kilpatrick is 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 a traditional Irish name. But you know, it's just like if your parents had named you um, Schaefer Schaefer or something like that, right? If I was Reuben Reuben R U E B E N Reuben, that would just be weird. It's just yeah. I mean, that sounds strange, <laughs> but you know, these these are just names that we say. We don't give them a lot of thought. And then you start to think, like, that's a really unique name, sir. And it's deliberate by his parents. It is. And if you want to know more about his backstory from his childhood, uh, you should check out his book. I listened to his audio book, and it was wild because he narrates the whole thing. He's a really interesting person. Uh, He digs a little bit into his career in Hollywood. 
Uh, but most of that is actually saved for our $2 six question segment. So if you want to listen to more of Patrick talking about some kind of uh, interesting, funny stories about making movies in Hollywood, check out our $2 six question segment on our Patreon. It's highly recommended uh, for some wild stuff. He talks about passing out in one movie and... <laughs> People just walking over him as he was passed out in this movie. So uh, you got to hear about that and more. This is an amazing interview. We go to we go to very strange places, and yeah, and and he and Patrick really lets his hair down, so to speak, in the the two dollars six questions as as you mentioned, which you can join our Patreon for just uh, eight dollars a month, and you get all sorts of cool things from us. It's totally worth it. And just just go check it out. If you're already a patron, you know how awesome it is. If you're not, just go check it out. You can join for as little as $2 a month, and you can see the other tiers. You get your money's worth and more at $2 Late Fees Patreon. Yeah, there's no better way to sell something than say, it's totally worth it, in, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's like, we didn't really mention what Patrick Kilpatrick would be most known for. You know Patrick Kilpatrick. You might not know him by name. You definitely know him by face. He is one of those guys you show the picture to and you go, oh yeah, he's he plays a lot of villains. Um, we know him from Remo Williams as the villain Stone, of course, but he's also been in uh, Death Warrant. He was in Under Siege 2, where he's fighting Steven Seagal on a train. Casey fucking Ryback. And then in Death Warrant, he played the Sandman, very infamous role. So I, th I know a lot of people love him for that. And he talks a little bit about Death Warrant and working with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, he's in uh, Eraser, Donald Schwarzenegger, Minority Report. I mean, the guy the guy has been in a lot of stuff. We can't underemphasize just how uh, remarkable a career he has had because he's been working this entire time. And he talks a little bit about finishing a book that hopefully will come out sooner rather than later, which details all of his roles in Hollywood. Part two of the memoir, which is written but not released. Yes. So for now, you've got part one and part two, the whole kit and caboodle of our conversation with Patrick Kilpatrick. So enjoy Patrick Kilpatrick. Enjoy. And I just want to say Patrick Kilpatrick because you said his name twice for some reason. So I'm also going to say I don't know Patrick why. Kilpatrick. Patrick Kilpatrick, thank you for joining us on $2 Late Fee. Please don't hurt us. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. I, I, um, actually, I thought they're actually going to fine me $2 for being 14 minutes late. You know, if that, that harkens back to the video store days, uh, the $2 late fee, if you were, you know, one minute after 7 p.m. when it was due on a Sunday and you get charged that that fee, um, you know, w were you a victim of having to pay late fees back in the day when you went to the video store? Uh, brother, I'm, I'm a victim of having to pay late fees for every act that I have in life. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know... Uh, I just don't you find that's the nature of life? Yes. I mean, you can you can argue about it, but I tend to. I sometimes feel like I've been playing catch up my entire life. Yeah, I feel like uh, personally speaking, I'm 
at a point now where I'm like, oh, I'm starting to figure out what life's all about, starting to. <laughs> well, um, when I get a residual in the mail, I no longer think, wow, I got money. I go, wow, the universe knows that I've got someplace to give this to somebody else. Mm. Because that's really what it comes down to. You know, you're rich, you're flush for a moment. But all it means is that the universe knows that you're going to need a whole bunch of money for something in short order. Uh, I, 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 I don't think of money as uh, mine or sticking to me or in any way, shape or form. That doesn't mean I, it's not nice to have a nest egg or something like that. But I know people who have a nest egg and, and then all of a sudden their kid has terminal cancer. Hmm. So the, the, I, I think money is such a transitory thing. Uh, anyway, that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's not a bad way to look at it. I mean, especially yeah. if your residual checks, you know, are more than six cents, which is how mine are usually going. I've had residual checks that are zero. And I'm like, why did they bother to mail this out? Why did they cut down a tree to send me something that's noticed that's that's a zero? Yeah. That's happened more than once. Yeah. It's it's so bizarre. Well, it's just a machine, man. Yeah. Anything under a buck, I wish they would just send it to the homeless or yeah, really. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you even hold on to change? I, I, I get changed and I go, I just give it to whoever is yeah. right there because it, it's almost more weight than it, it, you can carry around in your pocket. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, I don't even know what it looks like anymore. I, I, you should put it in a jar and it would accrue, but I don't, I don't normally think like that. But When your kids were little, did they have a piggy bank? <laughs> <laughs> My kids from the day they were born have had more money than their father who's oh my god 24/7 because everybody gives them gifts at Christmas and their birthday of a couple hundred bucks or whatever and being really intelligent kids they like open 401k uh, the <laughs> they were born there you go so so they've always had a fair amount of money nice um, it's good because they didn't get it for me. I'm like, oh my god, uh, I, I just keep rolling. But I, I then again, I'm really confident about making money. Uh, some people are not. Um, I, I'm just like forward. Burn the bridges behind us, guys. It's Cortez <laughs> time. We're going forward. <laughs> well, you know, you. Uh... Listening to you talk now, I, I just, I literally just finished listening to your audiobook, Dying for a Living. God bless you, which is another thing. Amazon hasn't sent me a residual check in a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I know damn well people have been buying the book. So it's like, I did. Well, God love you. Uh, see, I, I don't know. It's, it's not Catholic guilt because I wasn't raised for guilt. I want to yeah. give you money because you bought my book. Well, you being <laughs> on our show, you being on our show is, 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 is thanks enough. That's for sure.
put Zach in your next movie. You know, I could get a great performance out of it. That sounds like really arrogant, but it really helps to have been an acting teacher for a long time. I believe you. And I, 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 you would not believe the people who've walked in uh, and 20 minutes later, we get a credible performance from them because the worst was a guy from France who thought that he was Steve McQueen. Was that Mickey Rourke? <clears throat> I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Here we go. Here we go on Mickey. Um, <laughs> I've acted with Mickey for a while. Mickey is a sweetheart, um, unless you're on the other end of his gangsterism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I never am. You know, see, it's, I, I'm very. Uh, it's it's a it's a problem because people give me their rose-colored glasses. Okay. Version of themselves because I think two things are operating. Hopefully, they respect what I do. But I think some of it is they look at me and they go, and maybe it's tangled up with the parts I play. They think I better be nice to him or he will cut my head off and sew it up with a plastic spoon. Yeah. So, um, but and I'm not saying Mickey, but often people like that take out their cowardice on the craft service girl, <laughs> something yes. like that. Yes. Really vulnerable. I'm not implying all craft service girls are vulnerable, but you know, and then they get your production sued for sexual harassment for a quarter of a million dollars or something like that. I am actually speaking of specific people which I mentioned in the book, but um, volume two anyway. When's volume two coming out, by the way? I was happily polishing volume two. It was already written. And then COVID hit. And I have producer clients, people who come to me and go, how can I make this movie made? Or how can I make it better or whatever? And I got a draft from this wonderful lady in Texas and it was pretty juvenile, uh, but it had some great imagery. And um, they hired me. I looked at it and I said, oh, my God, this will allow me and my team, because really it's a team, uh, to talk about everything that's going on between China and America mm. right now and the world we live in right now. And so they hired me, uh, they hired the team, we went to work on it, spent a year researching China and uh, America and Taiwan and all of that. And then it took off and I started getting hired as a scriptwriter uh, and a producer. And so all through COVID, I was hired to do what I consider to be more important work, uh, certainly more lucrative work than the second volume of my memoir. Now it's sitting there, but uh, the producer producing took off. And then I was had the money presented to me to produce this film that we're currently in production for. Okay. The next logical step from our company to go from screenwriters and shepherding material into streaming services and studios 
to actually becoming a production uh, house. And Great. so we're in mid-production on that one. So the short answer is never. <laughs> no, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a, my wife is fond of saying I run a tight ship. I don't have loose paper running around my office and 300 pages unless the good Lord takes me out, the universe, whatever you want to call me, that volume will be coming out. I have to go through that and make it, to me, a relevant book. The historical stuff about all the shows, because this one's all show business all the time, that's relevant. Somebody who's interested in what I did in Star Trek or Boomtown or... Remo Williams. Yeah, or Death Warrant with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Blackwater and, and Sean Connery and all of that. All of that will be in there. It'll come out. It's written. I won't let the 300 pages uh, lie fallow. We sure hmm. hope you don't because, um, yeah, I, I was I, I was listening to your book. You narrate your entire audio book, which is really interesting and fascinating because it's almost like having a conversation with you or just listening to you talk. And I was struck early on with uh, the, the, when you were discussing your father yeah. being in the World War II UDT, because my dad uh, was a UDT frogman as well. Uh, UDT 21, that was his division. What years was he? Late 60s. Late 60s. So Kennedy merged the UDT and the Navy SEALs in 62, 63. Yep, exactly. So, uh, well, God love them, you know, then you will be interested to know that we, I've written a, a big movie about the UDT. Oh, cool. Nice. Do you remember, did you ever see The Graduate? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he goes, I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson. And he goes, oh, they're all excited and everything. And then they go, uh, he, she goes, well, have, have you told uh, the Robinsons? And, he, and they go to rush to call and they the parents and he says, no, no, I haven't told them. <laughs> when are you going to do it? No, we haven't picked a date. Well, right. well, how did you ask Elaine? And he says, I haven't asked Elaine. <laughs> and, and the guy goes, the father goes, well, this sounds a little half-baked. And, uh, and, and uh, Dustin Hoffman says, no, it's fully baked. So the UDT th movie is fully baked. Fantastic. Just needs the spigot of money to be turned on, and it'll happen sooner or later. Well, I'm sure my dad will appreciate that. He uh, he he gave major props to your father, uh, calling it the greatest generation. Uh, you know, at World War II, and just my dad has always been a hero in my eyes. Um, and God bless him. Give him a hug for me. I will actually. Uh, speaking of COVID, this will be the first time in maybe four years since we've physically seen each other later this year. So it'll be nice to to do that. Well, I hope you ask him more questions than I did in my abject self involvement, because I asked my father just when he was on his deathbed what he did in World War II, and it mm. was pretty pretty staggering and. Mm. Uh, and then I, it got me thinking that, oh, my God, there's a big story here. And uh, for sure, I wish um, I wish I had been 
I had asked questions of my father to greater depth. I mean, I did enormous research for the movie and I lived at the Navy SEAL Museum and the Navy SEAL Heritage Foundation in Little Creek, Virginia and, and stuff like that. But, and I also interviewed, your dad might be interested. How old is he now? Uh, he's 70, I believe. Well, I interviewed uh, 12 at the Navy SEAL Museum, 12 underwater demolition team guys from World War II. Oh, cool. And have that tape. And, and God, what a group of characters that was. Mm. Fortunately, my, my young son is very much fascinated as well. And my dad is very forthcoming with his stories about his SEAL days, his SEAL training, Hell Week, for example, uh, right. which he brings up a lot. Buds. Buds, exactly. And, and so he, he's talked a lot about that. That's a really good question. I will certainly ask him that and uh, get back to you on it. Well, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk to him and how those things evolved so swiftly. Like your, guy, your dad probably had aqua lungs. Yeah. You know, but they didn't have those in World War II, except a couple of experimental ones. Right. Um, and so um, I'm actually really proud of something, and I'll share it with you. Um, in the movie we're filming now, I made up the line, expediency is the mother of all cowardice. Mm. And um, a Navy SEAL buddy of mine who helps out my film company came to to read the stage directions um, during our table read and uh, of the current movie. And he said, that's such a great line. I'm going to put it in our Bud's training. Wow. And so uh, a, a movie line I wrote is now part of the Bud's training, which I thought, that's pretty sweet. That's yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So your dad's a hero and uh, people need to know about that stuff and um, tell them I send my love and respect. For sure. And, and I, I think that's one aspect that I really appreciated from your from your memoir is your uh, appreciation and respect you have for the military and the armed forces. Uh, and, and they do so much more than maybe what's perceived necessarily. Sure. Uh, you know, so so hats off to you for putting that out there. And it seems like, um, you know, I think your your specific memoir about your life up until the point you become an actor yeah. is 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 a wild story. What a journey you've been on to get you to where you are now, relatively in the sense of being an actor in Hollywood and making movies. And to me, what I'm fascinated about is you know, Dustin and I were saying before you joined us, you are such an intimidating presence on screen and intimidating kind of force. Was that always the intention when you came into Hollywood or were you just like, I want to be the next Eric Roberts or what, how did that come all about? Um, I never really thought about it by calculation no I never my theory about acting is you kind of put your energy out uh when I'm teaching young actors and stuff you know that old expression make a plan and God will laugh I I, uh I think acting is very much about 
doing your very best and putting your energy out and the universe actually has a plan for you that is greater than you can even conceive. I never even intended to become an actor, never gave it a second mm. thought. Yeah. I worked really hard once I got there, but um, I just wanted to be a writer. Yeah. And, uh, but the universe, I really believe destiny has us all in their hand, its hand, um, and destiny has a plan for us in a far greater calculation of what they know that we need than we do often. Um, I wasn't looking for the money to do the movie that I'm producing and directing and acting and writing now. Um, I, I've looked for money endlessly for decades sometimes, but in this particular case, I wasn't and I went to Amsterdam and the money was presented because the universe knew it was time for my company to do a movie so that the other projects we've been hired as a screenwriter and a producer would be facilitated and get and get made. Hmm. So, I mean, that's my current assessment. Um, there are two things operating. We all, if you operate at 150 and 200% of your own personal uh, capabilities, then I think the universe picks you up and drives you to where you are. Now, this brings up like wounded warriors. I don't believe in negative events. And um, that's a pretty tough one to convey to somebody who's lost three limbs and they've had 85% of their skin burned off of their bodies. However, it's not that you lost the three limbs. And that's easy for me to say, because I haven't lost the three limbs. And it's not that you have had 85% of your body's flesh burned off in your face, which is what guys in Afghanistan and World War II and all that stuff have had to face. Yeah. But it's your reaction to that. I know guys who are stand-up comedians who were blown up in grenades in Vietnam and they are brilliantly funny and they're brilliantly empathetic and they bring joy and laughter to their fellow man. And there are other guys who've lost limbs and they go back to combat. I mean, I've met six years ago, six guys who went back to Afghanistan after losing an arm and they had to meet the same criteria. So wow. what I've tried to do, one of my biggest aspirations is to create uh, environments where I can take those wounded warrior guys and put them in a situation where they're making a movie with me and they'll go, wait a second, if God hadn't had me lose the three legs mm. and the 85%, I wouldn't be here on this movie, totally. Patrick Kilpatrick. Totally. And so maybe there was, for, forgive me, because I get very emotional about it. Of this. course. Yeah. Um, maybe God's plan for me, maybe the universe's plan for me 
was for me to go through what I went through because it's carried me to this spot. So that's intense. Um, we could talk about that forever, but the, uh, the, uh, the bottom line is one of the driving forces of me when I write stories, and I don't always get the opportunity to plug that in, but is to use some of those guys so that they get those, I call them pivotal experiences that allows them to look back and not have regret about mm. the cards that have been dealt them. I know in my own life, what appeared to be negative events were not negative events at all. They were actually blessings mm -hmm. because they were, it wasn't easy. It was a pain in the ass. It was horrific. But that challenge is what makes it, it makes you move towards whatever your greater purpose is in life. Um, now, if you react negatively, quote unquote, like I've seen guys who've lost a couple of legs and it finishes them. They're like cast into dark depression hmm. and, and, and that's valid too, but yeah. you got to come out of that and you got to go forward with whatever circumstances, because we're all going to go out. So all you got is the moments that you're here. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a movie called Ombre with uh, Paul Newman. Yeah. And I recommend it to the new generation because there's so much stuff to be learned from a movie like that written by Elmore Leonard. And Paul Newman says the bad guy brilliantly played by Richard Boone says, well, I wonder what hell is going to look like. And Paul Newman says, we all got to die sometime, just a matter of when. So the question becomes, how the hell am I going to live with the limited time I've got on this planet? And we've got a choice. Are we going to be an angel or are we going to be wallowing in self-pity and wasting time and all of that. And uh, I don't live like that all the time, but I sure as hell aspire to live like that all the time. And every time I succumb to negativity and anger and things like that, I realize all I've done is waste my own bloody time mm. on, on here on the planet. So yeah, it's very profound what you're saying. And of course, you know, it's like that tends to lean more towards the cynicism. And, uh, and yeah, you do need a, a sense of hope. And what you said actually resonated with me in many ways, but but mostly because my father, who has been chronically ill for many, many years, you know, founded this kind of um, saying, which is sort of that, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And that you can actually use those chronic, that chronic adversity uh, as a, as a as a key to discovering who you truly are which is which is what you're speaking about another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, there's a saying, um, there's a wonderful book called Reluctant Warrior, written by a guy uh, who lives in La Jolla. And I keep thinking if I have some time to go down and look and uh, meet him, because this guy was... He wrote an extraordinary book, and it's about a guy, he wanted to lead men in combat. So in 1971, he joined the service and became a lieutenant and was shipped to Vietnam. If you remember, Vietnam wasn't the coolest place to be in 1971, you know, because we were retreating and uh, pulling out and forget that as a political whatever and everything but the book is about him leading men in combat uh tactically as their their duty was to protect the united states as they withdrew and it's a fantastic book and each chapter is led by a, a saying and one of the sayings is adversity introduces a man to himself mm. and that's true. We yeah. can all be really cool when things are up. But if you can be really cool and graceful and humorous when things aren't up, then maybe you're actually doing stuff. You, your platform uh, needs to be expanded. Zach can't even talk. Look at this. He's like, I, I, I'm usually pocking all over the place, but uh, I'm just floored right now because this is meaningful stuff that people need to hear. We very much prescribe to that same or subscribe to that same ideology of like, you know, look where you are today. Everything that's happened to you up until this point of your life has mattered. It it gets you to where you are. When I was a copywriter at time, sometimes I hated it. I really wanted out of there. Uh, When you decide to get out of there is up to you, but When I look back on it, the experience of being a copywriter at Time Inc. was so brilliantly essential to what I do now. Totally. Um, Totally. So, uh, in fact, the biggest regrets I have are two classes I hated. One was Bible study at prep school, and the other was typing. And I zoned out on two of them. Well, then I th- went out and became a journalist, and I didn't know how to type. <laughs> so I had to teach myself to type. Yeah. To your point, you're saying something very insightful. Whatever you're going through is what you're supposed to be going through. Yes. To achieve what you actually want. Um, I hope your audience likes Catalyst. Um it's a young director named Christopher Falkins, which I really want to foster his career because not a lot of these guys in the independent world uh, are, in my opinion, worthy of fostering. But he's one, uh, and that's coming out. This is your current current project, right? Scripted? You're saying Catalyst? Yeah, very interesting met- methodology. Uh, a couple of times in my life, I've gone to work without a script. 
uh, and it worked out um, because I can improv pretty well. And but Chris built a a, a framework uh, based on research and everything, and then he allowed people to improv within that thing. So it was a unique project, hmm. uh, and it worked. Uh, he was also really dedicated to the technical aspects of filmmaking, which are considerable. Um, I'm pretty script centric. I try to like get it down on script, but sometimes as an actor, you go in there and you haven't even been given a script. And so you just uh, wing it improvisationally. Mm -hmm. But I'm fortunate I was, I'm able to do that. Some people can do that with facility. And did you do that with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and death warrant? I didn't do it on that. There are some that you just don't. Bring me a dream, Burke. Bring me a dream. Very rarely do you actually act with Jean-Claude because Jean-Claude uh, is either in his trailer or going through whatever Jean-Claude is going through. And, and he, I consider him, by the way, in my book, there's an entire chapter based on uh, the two movies I've done with him. The first one being Death Warrant. That was 29 years before Blackwater. Yeah. First, he demolished the supreme player in the most brutal sport in the world. Then, he crushed the competition in a contest nobody plays for kicks. Now, what's the problem? He faces a new challenge, only this time there are no rules. And nobody's playing games. Detective Burke, we want to send you undercover into Harrison as a prisoner. Van Damme is Burke. You're not going to last too long. It's the threat. It's a promise. He's got the toughest job a cop can do. Prisoners hate cops more than anything else. It's a hit list. You're a dead man. His cover has been blown. What are you doing in my prison? And the odds are impossible. Welcome to hell! Van Damme. He loves a good fight. For me, it's all fodder for the memoir, but uh, <laughs> let's just leave it at this. Jean-Claude is a tragic figure, in my opinion, and mm. I think he's got a good heart, and I just wish he would find his way to that. Our flaws are our own, and we're all flawed, but I don't walk in his shoes, so the Christian spiritual part of me says, don't say anything negative. Mm. The journalist part of me goes, read the book. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, speaking of martial artists, we uh, we had Don the Dragon Wilson on our show, on our show a while back. Yeah, I just and, did a movie with him. Yep, and he sung your praises like nobody else. He said, you know, he's done X amount of movies in his life. And he said, he goes, and I'm making a movie right now. I made a movie right now with a guy he's an amazing actor. You got to know this guy, Patrick Kilpatrick. And like, of course we do, <laughs> but he sang your praises up That's and very down. Sweet. I mean, you know, you get into these things and they haven't really written something that is 
which is, this is why when you know, I teach actors, I say, get a really good education. The universe, you've got to create stuff. And I love doing that. You know, yeah. have you ever seen these comedians? And I really have such great admiration for them. A really good MC comedian. It's their job to MC the event. But they're so brilliant in about a minute. They've taken stock of the place. They've identified places that are worthy of having a new one ripped <laughs> up. Yeah. They, they're scathing and completely, and it's hysterically funny because they, they've been able to suck their environment in in a really quick time. So a lot of times on acting, that's really the kind of thing I'm doing. I'm sucking the environment in. What's here that I can play with right. that I can do? And that's a delightful thing. There are other jobs where, look, hey, it's written there and it's my job. It's not Shakespeare, but it's my job to figure out a way to say this with meaning. But the improv thing, uh, I, I tend to improv a little, and I'll write it, but and I'll write frameworks, and so I have a lot to talk about. You have to do that as an actor, because maybe it says, Patrick is playing thug, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not particularly interested in playing a thug. So I write improv that turns me into a genius. Yeah. And so they get a genius and they're happy that they got a genius <laughs> instead of a thug. Otherwise, you're just going to end up playing thug. And that's not so much fun. No. So, uh, I, Don was great. I ate him alive uh, in this thing because I was really prepared to. And God love him for being complimentary about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. Dustin and I were out to lunch with him. He was just like, as I like to say, glazing your donut. <clears throat> glazing your donut. Well, that sounds like uh, a metaphor that I need to avoid. Me <laughs> too movement. Well, hey, yeah, hey, really. take it how you take it. Take it how you take it, you know? Um, well, you know, I tend to take things... Uh, I spent too much time in the New York theater and everything becomes sexualized. In oh, of course. Mm. So um, glazing a donut to a guy who actually loves writing uh, erotic uh, stuff, <laughs> that could have a lot of potentialities. Oh, based I'm, on your, your first memoir, for sure. Hi, listeners. I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. You're talking to a man who's just come through the heat. My wife says he hasn't slept since September 16th. No shit. Well, you look good. You look good. You look good, all things considered. Yeah, you're wearing clothes. I mean, that's... <laughs> you dressed up nicer than we did. Well, that's easy. I just throw this stuff on. They made seven suits, or I made seven suits for this job uh, because 
I had seven suits and then we had to make them to put the pads in so that I could do my own stunts in the movie. Oh. Um, so, um, they, yeah, they look good. What is that, like seersucker? Yeah, this is a vestige of my run for campaign, of a run for governor. Um, yeah. I felt seersucker deserved sort of an all, all the king's men, uh, uh, Arthur Penn Warren uh, resurrection for the governor's yeah. race. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, seersucker, yeah, brought it back for the governor's race. It's got a populist feel to it. It's got a, I'm being facetious. I really, I thought, <laughs> I, I, I seersucker. Uh, it's nice. If you wanted to be a demigod and, and, uh, and uh, you know, a southern demigod, it's a perfect thing for a uh, southern. Have you seen Sean Penn's version of All the King's Men? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's sure have. Very worthwhile. No doubt. Uh, who would think a remake of Broderick Crawford would actually have anything of value? But it was great. Sean Penn, and he pulled it off. He's pulling off a thing in, in uh, the Ukraine, Ukraine right now. No it's, doubt. It's extraordinary. And I, uh, my hat's off to him. Uh, I've met him once. In, a, in fact, I'll tell you how cool Sean Penn is. Even though they're, uh, politically I might not agree with him sometimes. But yeah. Uh, he, I sent him a script that I had written and he sent me back a long letter and he didn't know me from Adam at the time. He didn't even know me. And he sent me a long letter and he said, clearly this is, you got your creative juices going for this and everything, but I'm going to have to pass on this one. But I mean, to take the time. That's so nice to write me a handwritten letter to that, somebody he didn't even know. Yeah. You know, uh, I've always appreciated that. And uh, he's a cool guy. And I really, you know, there's so few guys who are actually doing what's important. Totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, Remo Williams, how was that movie for you? <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Now based on the Destroyer novel series that sold over 30 million copies. America's favorite tough guy comes to the screen in a movie big enough to hold him. Remo Williams. The adventure begins. Remo Williams was such a joy. It was the first movie I had ever done for a studio. Wow. And I was so happy. I had flown out to LA to do uh, uh, different jobs. Great honor to work with Eli Wallach and then Michael Madsen uh, and Kenny McMillan, who's your audience may not know, but Kenny McMillan and, and, and uh, Charles Durning were the highest paid character actors in the world at the time. Yeah. And being a character actor, I admire the highest paid character yeah. actors in the world. And Eli Wallach is a god, in my view, just from good, bad, and the ugly. Oh, come so, on. Yeah, totally. So uh, I was a great, I'd flown out to LA to do it. But so I got this um, job, Guy Hamilton, your audience doesn't know. Guy Hamilton. I believe directed the Battle of Britain and the Mirror Crack, the early Bond films, Goldfinger. Yeah, Live and Let Die. 
Yeah, I, I walk in and I go, uh, he goes, uh, he talked to me. Why, I, you know, these masters like Spielberg, uh, Guy Hamilton, Nicholas Rogue, who your audience may not know. Audi please pay attention to the films of Nicholas Rogue. In yeah. the 60s, in the 1960s, he was doing stuff they haven't even caught up to now. Totally. And so... I walk into these guys' offices and they talk to you because they know they can get what they can get, you know, and then television, you, you audition 20 times because nobody can make a decision. Uh, and, and, you know, they're all trying to do it. And there's a, something to be said about collaboration. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, uh, Remo Williams, he talks to me for, and he hires me, the guy Hamilton. And, uh, uh, off I go to five months on this movie and my, and we were shooting in Mexico and I can tell you my per diem, which was, I think about $500 a week. It was about a hundred bucks a day. Wow. That made me a God. In <laughs> yeah, I bet. No, I, I, I took a cab one day in, in, from the airport to my hotel and was charged $2 and 50 cents. Well, I found out I had been ripped off about five times over. The actual fee was 50 cents. So that, <laughs> tell, that, that tells you what the dollar was worth in Mexico. At For real, time. yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, I cover all of this in the book and, and, uh, and more. Um, I became great buddies with Kate Mulgrew. Uh, fantastic actor yeah yeah she was fantastic and yeah. then later on i was on star trek with her and yeah uh I, I became very good friends with her but her current husband robert egan who was then the director of the mark taper theater at the los angeles theater center a great the theatrical venue I had the privilege of working at the Los Angeles Theater Center. But anyway, he had this idea. I just love talking to Kate because she's a fantastic person. But he had the idea that I wanted to have an affair with her. So he would come to my house, to my apartment every night and talk to me for hours and hours and hours, trying to suss out my intentions with his wife. Wow. Oh, my God. God. And I had no dishonorable intentions with his wife. I'm perfectly capable of dishonorable intentions, but particularly at that time. But uh, yeah, read your book. They weren't directed to Kate. <laughs> this is during Remo when you're filming Remo Williams, right? Yeah. I mean, do you want to know about the technical aspect? I mean, Guy Hamilton. No, 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 no. We he loved what I did. Fred Ward was another character. I'm still friends with Fred. Uh, what else do you want to know about? I did not get the tooth. I wanted the tooth. Uh, that's, the, the tooth. that's the question. But here's, a, here's advice to your actors. If they tell you, they'll give you the prop or the wardrobe, but it'll be after the shoot, yeah. you're never going to get it. Come so on. if you want it, make sure you leave the set with it. Right. And <laughs> with permission, you don't want to steal. Right. But... Um, they were being smart. And they said after the movie, in case we have to do a reshoot. Fair enough. I, never, I never saw it. Uh, oh. By the way, I auction those things, give them to charity. So oh, yeah. the diamond tooth, Tiffany's tooth. 
that movie holds a very warm place in our hearts and um, for, for many reasons. It's shocking to me. It's an always a wonderful thing that it does because um, it was an interesting phenomenon, another from a business standpoint, because, yeah. you know, they had a typhoon the weekend of the premiere in, in New York. Oh, gosh. So nobody went to see it in the theater. Yeah. But then it became the largest selling uh, DVD thing, I think. I forget the studio. VHS, yeah. Yeah, M- MGM, I think, put it out. Yeah, and, and it was huge. It spanned an interesting audience of not just adult males, but also kids as well. There's a fantasy element to it in this yeah. action-adventure G.I. Joe kind of thing. And it had a new shelf life on television as well. And I think it attracted that audience that maybe wouldn't have gone to the theater uh, at the time. Kids, my in particular myself as a latchkey kid at home watching it over and over and over again on HBO. <laughs> and then it, it just becomes this cult fandom. And the idea that it never spawned a sequel or anything like that uh, almost added to the folklore of like, well, why? This movie should have had these sequels. And th- that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, there are 53 books. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I uh, I can tell you why because the opening day weekend was a disaster, and yep. uh, through no fault of the filmmakers. Let's extrapolate culturally from then to now, and, and I'm not necessarily saying Joel Gray would never be allowed oh. to play that part now. No way. But he did it masterfully in that. Yeah, film. I, I think he deserved maybe an Academy Award nomination for doing that. And it's sure. not the kind of movie that it is going to get that. But uh, like uh, Val Kilmer deserved an Academy Award nomination for Tombstone. Yep. You know, I think uh, Ken Davidian deserved uh, an Academy Award nomination for rolling around naked for three days with Borat. with uh, Sasha Baron yeah. Cohen. Baron <laughs> Cohen. I mean, uh, I love Ken. And can you imagine what talk about difficult working conditions? <laughs> Insane. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. So um, onward and upward. I love you guys. And I mean, I don't mean that in the Hollywood sense. Thank you. Oh my sir. gosh. Patrick, uh, Thank you. I'm, I'm sure my dad, Don will give uh, serious congratulations and appreciations to you. Um, and, and this has been an honor to have you on our show. Thank you. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks and for your time. A privilege as well. Thank you. And, and Don, Don, the dad, take care of yourself. You've done a good job with this one. I'll see you soon. Cheers. All right. Take care. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.